Well, good evening. It is a pleasure to be with you once more. And it looks like it's another lucky night for me. It's offering night again. Fantastic. I'm kidding, just for those of you who don't get my sense of humor. Uh, I had a great time at, uh, at Santa Cruz Beach. I hope you did too uh, yesterday, and I hope my beach uh, shark story, sorry, didn't throw you off if you got into the water. Uh, I don't know if you walked down the pier. We did as a family, and you got pretty, pretty far down. You, you got to a restaurant, and they had a sign outside. I know you've read it. And the sign said uh, this. It said, don't worry. The sharks are off filming Shark Week. <laughs> so there you go. They're into it too. Uh, now the kids were asking me just at lunchtime there what my favorite incident of our time here so far has been. And it's, it's hard to pick one. And certainly the train journey down and up yesterday was a treat. Uh, but as I reflected on it, uh, it really is an incident that happened close to the end of the day, just before we made our way back. Uh, my son, Jake, that's my third child, but second boy, he all day had been saying that all he wanted to do was to shoot one of those rifles to win one of those cuddlies. And we all know that's rigged, right? He was never going to get it. But he persisted, and he had a choice, and he said, no, I want to spend my money on that. And so five minutes before the train leaves, we had to make sure that that occurred. But we couldn't get down to uh, where the rifles were, so we just had to settle for one of those little similar activities that was close to the train. And it was throwing a ball at a backboard and then making sure that it dropped inside the box. It was $5, I think, and I'm thinking, $5 for a cuddly. I could buy 20 of those cuddlies for $5, <laughs> uh, and we're, we're just going to throw the money down the drain. So he's given a ball, and I, I sort of lean down. I'm about the I'm daddy wisdom here, you know. So when you throw it, don't throw it, like, really hard because it's going to hit the board, and the way the angle is going to be, it's going to bounce right back. I mean, I got two words out, and he threw it. And it hit the board, it bounced off one rim of the box, bounced off the other rim of the box, and fell in. <laughs> and the lady said, of the hundreds of people that have done that today, nobody has got it in. <laughs> You're the first. <laughs> Look at the Irish. <laughs> or so I thought, because as he looked at the cuddlies, he says, I'll have that one. So in the interest of uh, helping you understand the, the trauma that I was in, I've brought him to meet you tonight. Would you all meet... <laughs> Mr. Fred, and I, I go back to, no, not look at the Irish... Murphy's Law. I have to get that thing to Dallas. It cost me another seat. <laughs> Thankfully, Don and Damaris, who are heading that way, have generously stepped in and said they will take Mr. Fred back home uh, to Dallas for us. So, oh well, there he is, Mr. Fred. Let me pray and then we'll get into our passage for tonight. Father, we thank you once again for allowing us to come here this week to spend time getting to know uh, brothers and sisters who we didn't know last week and yet are bonded as family in Christ. Father, we uh, turn to your word again tonight and we ask that you would uh, settle us, help us to focus and help us to receive your word so that it bears fruit in our lives for your glory. Amen. So our topic tonight is God's faithfulness in our suffering. God's faithfulness in our suffering. Now, I know, two nights ago, I got God's faithfulness to protect us from the evil one. And tonight I get to talk to you about suffering. I mean, who brought the Irish guy? You know, he gets all these topics. And so I've never done this before, uh, but in the interest of reviewing where we have been, 
which is helpful, I, I thought I'd do it in a different way. I thought I'd do it in a visual way. And this is thanks to Yvonne and her family who were thinking about the message from Tuesday as they were going through Santa Cruz uh, Beach Promenade yesterday. And it's this. Now, again, there's lots of things going on here that I don't usually do. I don't usually do this. So. But you see that? You all see the shark in the back with a little guy acting like fish food. So the message from two nights ago is, Stand firm. Use the armor of God that God has given you because you're an apex predator's zone. And if you act like shark food, you're going to get swallowed up. So remember to pray. That's the greatest weapon that God has given you. That's your side of his protection. So that was two nights ago. And tonight we're going to look at suffering. If you turn to 1 Peter chapter 4, Verse 19, that's the verse that's been assigned to me. Let me read it to you, and it will also be on the screen. So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. Those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. There's lots of issues packed into that little verse. That little verse, alongside of a few others that we're going to look at tonight, really does capture a lot of what the book of First Peter is about. It, it talks about God's commitment, right? God's faithfulness, and that it's to those who commit themselves to Him by doing good in the context of suffering. There's a lot there, uh, and it's, 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 it's a vast area, this topic of suffering. I mean, Dr. Jones talked this morning about the vandalism of sin, and sin has vandalized all levels of life on planet Earth since the fall. All of life, not just human life, all of life has been vandalized by, by sin in, 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 in many, many ways and across all time. It doesn't matter whether it's illnesses of all sorts or abuses of all sorts or injustices and calamities and, and everything from bumps and bruises and scratches to war and genocide and loneliness and discouragement and disappointment and loss of a loved one. I mean, sin has vandalized everything as it relates to life on planet Earth since Genesis 3. Suffering is everywhere, but the suffering that, that Peter is talking about here is a specific type of suffering. And, and that's where I'm going to go after, because God's commitment, God's fidelity, according to 1 Peter 4.19, is in a specific arena of suffering in human life, one that is returning with a vengeance in the West. It, it hasn't gone away outside the, the West. It's, it's been there for a long, long time, but, but in the West, it, it's beginning to ramp up again. It's like Satan's got his, his finger on the thermostat and he's setting it high and it's getting hot. It's, 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 a, it's a suffering that, that I first experienced in, in a very childlike way as a child. I grew up in, in, in a beautiful setting and yet in a horrific setting. The, the, the beautiful setting was that I grew up in the Canary Islands, Spain, where, where all of Europe essentially holidays. Uh, but, but I didn't grow up in the nice sort of beaches side of the Canary Islands. I grew up where the Spanish government put all the Spanish people who had no jobs and who lived on the beaches to get, to get them out of the way so that it wouldn't affect tourism. And so they built this massive housing estate, 30,000 people with no jobs, and the place was just infested with crime and drugs and prostitution and unemployment. Uh, and so it was, a, it, was a, it was a tough little environment, but again, as a child growing up in that, I wasn't fully aware of the severity of the situation because I grew up in a Christian home, in a missionary home, very protected and very, very loved. And my parents had to send us to an English-speaking school because, believe it or not, we couldn't speak English. 
And I know what you're thinking. You still can't speak English, haha. I've heard them all before. Uh, but we grew up speaking Spanish, and so my parents had to get us to learn to speak English. And so they enforced English at home, and they sent us to an English school, which was great. I, I loved it. Now, the thing is, there was one day of the year that I hated at that school. It was at the end of February every year. And it was the season in the Canary Islands and, and around most of Spain where they celebrated carnival season. Think of the most pagan and flagrantly anti-God-like behavior that you can possibly think of, kind of Romans 1 type stuff. That occurred in, in the end of February season in the Canary Islands for about two weeks. And all, all sort of mixed with this kind of superstitious version of Roman Catholicism. It was horrible. And so one of the main activities was cross-dressing. And so what this school did in order to just partake of society's activities was they allowed the children of the school for that one day to wear costumes, to dress up. Now, I have no idea why my parents did not let us take the day off school that day every year. I still kind of am peeved about it, but they made us go in. They made us go in, but we went in in our regular uniform, and we stood out, and we were mocked, and we were made to feel like we were misfits and killjoys and strange because we didn't celebrate the way they celebrated. In fact, I distinctly remember one of my little friends at one point going, oh yeah, that's because you're a Christian, right? He hadn't come up with this. He'd heard it at home. So obviously the reputation that the Murphys had in the school was, yeah, they're Christians. They're weird. They're killjoys. They do not partake of what we partake of. They're just spoiled sports. It was a tough day. I wouldn't wear society's costumes, and, and I, that didn't go away. I, I grew up, uh, when I was about 13, 14, my, for educational purposes, my, my mom and dad had to send my eldest brother and myself back to Northern Ireland to boarding school. Think uh, Harry Potter, you know, Hogwarts and all that. That's the school I went to. It, it was like that. It's incredible. When I've seen little bits and pieces of the movies, I've watched it all, I go, oh my goodness, that's, that's where I went. And, and what happens when you have 13 and 14 and 15-year-olds thrown into boarding school with no parental supervision is not good. It's not good. Now, by God's grace, we, we got through it with very little baggage, but I'm not sending my boys to, to, to boarding school. <laughs> uh, anyway, the, 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 the temptation was always to fit in, to conform. And you see, I wouldn't smoke and I wouldn't drink, and I wouldn't swear like a sailor, and, or like Dr. Bailey's neighbor. Uh, I, I, and, and so I was deemed weird, strange. Oh yeah, he's a Christian. Like one of those missionary Christians, like they take it really seriously. It was uncomfortable. And you know what I'm talking about. That's the, that's the suffering that First Peter's talking about. When society begins to push you to the side because of your faith. When society begins to deem you to contribute nothing but intolerance. And intolerance is not a virtue in the eyes of society. To be exclusive in your faith just does not fit. It's weird. It's strange. It's a little arrogant. Christians are not wanted in society in escalating manners in the day in which we live in the West. And that's no surprise because Christ was not wanted either. This is precisely what's going on in 1 Peter. And that's what I want to explore tonight. So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. In the spirit of doing what I did with Paul on Tuesday, I'm going to do with Peter tonight, just in case they get upset with me down the line, eschatologically speaking. I, 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 because we were in a passage that Paul wrote on Tuesday, I wanted you to understand Paul's world and Paul's words in his letters, particularly related to that theme, and then Paul's own walk and his experience with that theme. Well, tonight I'm going to do exactly the same thing. Keep it all simple. Let's look at Peter's world and, and, and the audience of First Peter's world. 
And then let's look at Peter's work. What, what's Peter doing in 1 Peter? And then look, let's look at a little, one incident of many in Peter's life, in Peter's walk. So we're back to world, uh, words, and walk. Let, let's start with Peter's world. And, and really, is this, remember, the story of Christianity can be framed in different ways, but it certainly can be framed as the story, as the history of misfits. Of misfits. We're, my friends, in ancient company. I didn't know it as a, at the time as a seven, an eight-year-old, nine-year-old, 10-year-old, 11-year-old, all those days that I went into school and was deemed strange and weird, but I was in really good ancient company. That's what's going on with, with First Peter's audience. Look at, uh, well, look at chapter one, verse one. We're going to hop about a few passages, so uh, just jot the references down so that you can track them down a little bit later on. But, but First Peter 1 and 2, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, strangers in the world, scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ, and sprinkling by his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance." At, at this point, all I want you to see is that First Peter is writing to a whole bunch of people in what is predominantly modern-day Turkey, where Christians are still marginalized to the extent of persecution. And it's an encyclical letter. It's a letter that's supposed to do the rounds. So when you guys get it, read it, copy it if you need to copy it so that you get a, a copy for yourself, and then pass it on to the next guys because we all need to hear what's here. It's an encyclical letter. Now, move over to chapter 5, verse 12, because at the very end of the letter, Peter helps us understand what drove what he said, what, his purpose. What is he doing here? And here's what he says. With the help of Silas, whom I regard as a faithful brother, I have written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. This is kind of like Paul's language in Ephesians 6. Stand firm. Stand firm. Stand firm. Three times. Peter's doing somewhat of a similar thing. Stand fast in what you have believed, brothers and sisters. Stand fast in it. It is the grace, the unmerited kindness of God on your life. So he's writing to encourage them. Well, why do they need encourage? Well, again, jot these down. Chapter 2, verse 12, they're apparently being deemed wrongdoers to society. They're being insulted and maligned as wrongdoers of society. They're deemed a threat to the flourishing of human life. Believers in that world were deemed anti-humanity, anti-societal. Verse 15 of chapter 2, we read that they're being the objects of foolish or ignorant, slanderous talk. They're being maligned. The word on the street concerning Christians is not good. You see, they're odd, they're strange, they're weird. As society defines what's normal. Chapter 3, verse 9, chapter 4, verse 14, we read that they're being insulted, that they're being ridiculed, and they're being shamed because of the name of Jesus Christ. Everything from being boring and killjoys to being actually quite dangerous because they stand against what society embraces, and that means that they're deteriorating, they're decaying Roman life. What, what Rome has valued all along. Three times in the New Testament, believers are referred to as Christians. Three times. Now, when I say Christian, and when you hear Christian, you go, yeah, that's me. But you see, you've got to understand that the origins of the word Christian was a way of insulting those who were followers of Jesus Christ. In Acts 11, in the church of Antioch, we read that it's society that called Christians Christians, and, and they were deriding them, they were mocking them. Oh, they're little followers of Jesus, whoever that is. Pops up as well in Acts 26. 
So the very, the very word Christian was charged with insult. You're a Christian, right, Murphy? Yeah. Now, early Christians, because of their position and their belief system and their, and, and their love for Jesus, were at odds with society. And, and while they ate the same food and they wore the same clothes and they had two eyes and one nose and 10,000 taste buds on their tongue... They didn't do what the rest of society does, and that makes them weird and dangerous. They're not enamored with society's addictions, primarily sex-related and violence-related. They won't go to our sporting activities. It's too bloody and brutal for them. They don't engage in what we engage in at the temple. They're going to anger the gods. In fact, Christians were deemed atheists back then because Christians believed in one God when they believed in thousands, hundreds of gods. And so to believe in one was functionally an atheist. And if you live in a system that believes that the gods are determining and puppeteering life and you're not paying them respect, then when some calamity happens, it's your fault, which happened from time to time. Uh, an ancient writer called Tacitus, and he, he's in the first century, he was a Roman senator, he, he, he records that Christians were hated for their offensive acts, their behavior. Their behavior, their way of living is offensive. Another one, a chap called Suetonius, he writes that, that Christians were filled with ill-behaved superstition. Ill-behaved superstition, it's to do with how they live their lives. It's, it's evil and it's ill-behaved. Listen to what another observer says, and this is in the second century. This is fascinating. Christians are not set apart from other men by country and language or customs. That's not what sets them apart. For they don't live in their own cities and in their own countries or speak their own language or, or, or lead lives marked out by any one thing they do follow local customs that they live among with respect to clothing and food and ordinary day-to-day -day conduct. My paraphrase is they shop at Target to get their clothes, they dip their fries in ketchup, uh, and they put their trousers on one leg at a time. I mean, they are human beings. They are human beings. That's not what sets them apart. This chap says, what, but they display their striking way of life. And here's what he goes on to say. They, they live in, their, in the countries that we live in, but they live as foreigners. They marry, as we all do, and they have children, but they don't kill their offspring. They have a common table, but they don't have a common bed. They are in the flesh. I mean, we see them. They're incarnated people, but they do not live after the flesh they love all men, but they're persecuted by all men. They're insulted and they repay it with honor. And when they're punished, they rejoice. They're attacked by the Jews as foreigners and they're persecuted by the Gentiles. And yet those who hate them are unable to give any reason for their hatred. It's a striking mixed reputation that they seem to have. What, what this chap is saying is that they live as though this isn't home. It's like they live with their bags packed. Correction, they don't actually, they don't live with their bags. They have no bags to pack. They're not checking in any luggage. They're not checking in any hand luggage either. They're not trying to take anything with them that is of this world as such. It's, it's what we see here. It's, it's a society that says, who loves like them? Who cares like them? Who reacts like them? Who grieves like them? Who dies like they die? Who buries their dead like they bury their dead? Who understands integrity the way they understand integrity? It's, it's, it's blowing their, their, their sockets. Peter in, in chapter 3 verse 14 has a little statement that, that says this. If you happen to suffer from doing right. So the belief is this isn't, this isn't statewide marginalization and persecution of the church. This is social pressure that's building. 
they look down upon them. But looking down upon them is the trajectory toward then hunting them down. You look down before you hunt down. So we're not in state-sponsored persecution yet in, in 1 Peter, but, but it's becoming extremely uncomfortable. And of course it is, right? Truth is, Christians don't fit comfortably in a society that has no room for God. This is not a modern discomfort. This is an ancient discomfort. Peter's world, if you want one line, is one where Christians were being deemed weird and dangerous. Christians are being deemed weird and dangerous. Basically, they won't wear society's costumes. They won't party with us. They don't believe like we believe. Their worldview is very different. Their behaviors are very different. And you work your way down all the topics. They, they don't understand marriage the way we understand marriage. They don't understand sexuality and identity the way we understand sexuality and identity. They're just weird, and weird is dangerous to society. So that's Peter's world. Let's look at Peter's words, right? I promised to get you into First Peter, so, so let's do that. How do we live is what Peter's trying to answer. In light of that pressure and marginalization, in light of the fact that the temperature gauge is being moved up, uh, how do we live? Everything that Dr. Jones said concerning eschatology emerges here, right? That eschatology is about hope, that God has given us a, a, a preview of what's happening because it, it evokes hope in us. And ethics. And, and that's happening all over First Peter. What is the place of Christians in the world? How are Christians to relate with their culture without compromising their faith? How are we to live in a society that's hostile and unfriendly to Christ? And it's increasingly unsafe and increasingly hostile in the West. If you've missed that, you know, you need to turn on the news and read the newspapers and engage with people outside of your bubble. It's getting difficult. In fact, Luther, we sang a song penned by Luther earlier. Luther believed that 1 Peter contains everything that a Christian needs to live, know about living in a hostile world. That's, that's high praise by Luther. So let me, let me take you to a few uh, passages there. In fact, well, I'm, I'm going to give you an outline and let me put it up right now. Here, here's a breakdown of, of the book. Uh, it really splits into we're dealing with Christian identity and we're dealing with Christian living. You've got to understand who you are because that affects how you live is what Peter's doing here. And so he spends considerable time helping them understand their identity so that they will be able to live out that identity consistently in their day-to-day -day life. So let me walk you through that first section and then the second section. Yeah, Christian identity basically breaks down into the birth and the core of Christian identity. And the second one breaks into Christian identity traits. So let's put all of that up. There you have it. If you want to take a picture of that, take a picture of that. I don't know how fast I'm going to move, so don't get upset with me. But the first few verses I read to you a second ago, it's just Peter saying hi. Hi, everybody. There's, there's a lot more to it than that, as you'll see in a second. But, but that is a section where he's saying hi. And here's who I'm writing to. But he does mention, remember, look, he mentions that they are strangers. Strangers, that, that word, parapidemois, means Aliens. That's not a very nice word, right? That means you're not from here. I know what an alien is, right? I'm, I'm a resident alien, right? I mean, I'm reminded of it at every turn, every time I come into the country, right? You're an alien. Uh, I know what it means. I'm not from here. That, that, that I haven't had, you guys have been very nice to me, I must say. I've felt very welcome. But generally speaking, an alien is different than the society in which he finds himself and, and feels disoriented. It feels like I don't belong here, and, and I know it, and they know it. So even from the get-go, Peter's helping his audience understand through a choice word part of their identity. You are a stranger. You're not from here. You're an alien. You're a pilgrim, right? The language of, of, of 
being a pilgrim that's scattered across the, the, the world, speaks of we're on our way home, but we're not home yet. And then he moves on to talking about uh, our hope, our joy, and our privilege. It really, in that first little section there, the birth and core identity, Christian identity is basically saying, you have received God's salvation. You're God's elect. That's massive. That means that today you have hope because of what's happening tomorrow. That today you can have joy in the midst of being deemed a weirdo because of what's going to happen tomorrow. And that today you need to understand that you're a privileged individual. Paul does this too at the start of Ephesians, right? Blessed be the Lord and Father of Jesus Christ who has blessed us from the heavenly realms. They, they're, all, they're all wondering, oh my goodness, God must be losing because his greatest representative is in prison. And, and Paul in prison is saying, no, 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 I'm blessed. I'm blessed from on high. And if that is who I am, I live in light of that. And these chains aren't going to affect my mood. Peter's doing something similar here. You are people who today can have hope and joy and, and privilege because of what God has done. Understand that and live out of that. Understand your identity. And then he, he highlights a few identity traits there from chapter 113 all the way to chapter 2, verse 10. He talks about them being people of hope. Again, repeated, being people of holiness. Being people who live in the fear of God. And that's not I'm scared of God. That's I respect God because God is judge of my life. There are people of love. There are people who are to grow right in God, not in sin. There are people of purpose. They're, they're living out God's purposes in history. That's a, that's a beautiful katna of identity traits that Peter presents his audience with because they don't feel that. They're feeling marginalized and abused and picked on. And perhaps wondering, what on earth is God doing? Has he forgotten our little corner of the world? So Christian identity, uh, who you are, affects how you live. So the second part of the book moves directly into that, Christian living. How do I live out my faith in a way that transforms society? That's what Peter's after. Like, right where you're at whether you're retired, whether you're in business, whether you're between jobs, whether you're a stay-at-home mom or stay-at-home dad or, or, or a prophet at seminary. How do you live out your faith in light of who you are in a way that actually transforms society? It starts with a general call. I want to read that to you. That's, that's beautiful there. Uh, chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. There's, again, most books have that where, where there's a few key verses that, that nearly come close to catching the whole book. And, and here's another one in First Peter. Uh, verse 11, dear friends, I urge you as aliens, there we go, and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Here's verse 12. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Live such good lives that they're going to blush before God when he shows up, is what Peter's saying here. And then he lays out a whole bunch of spheres of life. Uh, we have the sphere of the state, like living well before the state. We're going to put the next one up. There it is. Sphere of life number one, living well or living a good life before the state. How do you relate with government and politics, which is hard, right? Living well at work. Your boss isn't nice or somebody else gets the credit for all the stuff you did. How do you live well at home? Wives, husbands. How do you live well as the church, as the people of God, within the context of suffering? 
he splits that in two. He initially begins with mild suffering, which is what we believe they're experiencing. But clearly, Peter anticipates it's going to get worse. So he, he sort of squeezes a little bit more out of that. He says, well, how do you live well as a church when the suffering gets even more intense? And then he says goodbye. Now, the goodbye, remember, I read to you a second ago, that has the purpose of the book, so it's not insignificant. All I want you to understand, remember, is that you live out of your understanding of who you are. And Peter wants believers who are marginalized by society to understand who they are so that they live well. Let me read a couple of more passages to you. Look at chapter 2, verse 20 and 23, because Jesus gives us an example. Verse 20, but how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. It's a beautiful imagery that's there. It's related to the way they used to teach kids how to write. You know, today what we do, and I, this is fresh for me. I've got young kids. You give them a little piece of paper with lots of dots, and they have to connect the dots, and the dots really form an A, so they're learning the A, and they repeat that over and over again. Well, in their world, they didn't have nice paper like we do. They used wax tablets, and so the, the kids had to trace the, the imprint on the wax tablet to learn. And the language that's used there in the word is essentially, Jesus has left you a template. Walk in the footprints that he has left for you. He's, he's a good example. He's your example of how to live well in the midst of suffering. That type of suffering. Look at chapter 3, verse 15. need to hurry this on as well. Uh, but in your heart set apart Christ as Lord. This is very familiar to you. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. It is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ died for sins and on he goes with the example of Christ again. So my friends, uh, Peter's world as being a Christian deems you in the eyes of society to be weird and dangerous. Peter's words tell us that that, that, that is because this isn't home. This isn't home. Expect that to happen, but do good in the context of that. Even though they think you're weird for being a Christian, understand that that's because you don't fit. You are a misfit, but when you understand that, you better do good. Allah Jesus Christ. Those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. Every day that my dad took us to school, my dad's a bit of a hero, not a bit of a hero, my dad's a hero, as a, as a son, but also now as an adult, looking on him as a ministry colleague. Uh, every day, my dad would take us up to school, and every day we'd sing, this is the day, this is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Uh, and then he'd pray with us as we drove up, and then as we got out of the car, he'd always say, kids, remember who you are and whom you serve. Remember who you are and whom you serve. That's First Peter in a nutshell. Remember who you are. You're a Christian. They might not like that, but that's who you are. And remember that you serve Christ. That manifests itself in the way you live your life, in the way you react on the playground, the way you talk the way, the activities that you don't partake of. Now let's look at Peter's walk. You see, here's the thing with Peter. Peter pops up all over the Gospels interacting with Jesus. So there's lots of examples. Uh, what I'm after is, uh, is where Peter got his stuff from. Now I know the Holy Spirit inspired Peter, 
But Peter also walked with the Lord Jesus Christ. He learned firsthand how to follow in the footsteps, in the imprints of Jesus Christ. And, and there's lots of stuff. Take, for example, the verse 12 in chapter 2 that I just read to you. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of wrongdoing, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Now go to the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5. Where did Peter get that from? He got it right from the lips of Jesus. Chapter 5, verse 16. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. What Jesus says, he chooses to live. Which you might think is basic, but not everybody chooses to live like what they believe Jesus says. Or the other very familiar passage in 1 Peter 5, 7, cast all your cares upon him because he cares for you. Right out of Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6. Do not worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow, take care of itself. In fact, look at the birds, look at the flowers. I mean, that whole trajectory there in that section of the Sermon on the Mount is essentially cast all your cares upon him because he cares for you. My, my favorite little Peter and Jesus incident uh, is Matthew 17. And I want to go there for the five minutes that I have left. Rush through that because I want to show you what Peter learned from Jesus that really is relevant to 1 Peter and to us. Matthew 17. Matthew 17, verses 24 to 27. Now, the little section in Matthew that we're in, the broad context is Jesus is withdrawing with his disciples in light of the ongoing rejection, and he's beginning to help them understand a little bit more of his person and a little bit more about his kingdom program, right? The, the mysteries of the kingdom, the parables of the kingdom happened in chapter 13, and Jesus is going to disclose a little bit more about that, and then he's going to give them some principles to live by in light of his departure. Because there's going to be a phase in history now that was mysterious, wasn't revealed in the old scriptures, but it's happening now. There's been a delay. And you're going to have to know how to live, Christian people. And so he talks to them about being a people of faith. Chapter 17, verses 14 to 23. The little section just before what I'm about to read. And after our little section, he's going to talk about being a people of humility. And in this little section, he's going to talk about being a people who trust God's providence in daily life, including when social pressure begins to turn up the heat by doing good. I mean, that's, that's 1 Peter right there. Let me, let me read it to you. Verse 24, when they came to Capernaum, those who collected the two drachma tax came to Peter and they said, does your teacher not pay the two drachma tax? This is aggression. Uh, Peter said, yes. Now, this was a temple tax to maintain the, the temple building and all the activities to buy the sacrifices, to wash the linen, to pay the staff that serviced there to keep the place lit, etc., etc., etc. Every male Jew, 20 years and up, could volunteer to pay it, didn't have to, but if you're a really good Jew, you would. Uh, if Jesus is a really good Jew, he would pay this. And so they're turning up the heat a little bit. Does he pay it? We don't think he pays it. Peter says yes. It's interesting because this is only in Matthew, and Matthew is a tax man. This is a tax. It's really interesting. Matthew remembers, obviously inspired by the Spirit, remembers those incidents that related to tax and money. But this is an occasion for Jesus to teach Peter something, specifically Peter. Look at the second half of verse 25. And when he came into the house, Jesus spoke to him first. So Peter doesn't say a word. Jesus speaks first. And he says, what do you think, Simon? From whom do the kings of the earth collect customs or poll tax? From their sons or from strangers? When Peter said, from strangers, Jesus said to him, then the sons are exempt. 
Now, here's what's happening here. The point that Jesus is making is that if you're the son of the king, you don't pay taxes. The king's not going to charge you a tax to fund that's what the family rules over. And his point is, I don't need to pay the temple tax because the temple belongs to my father. I, I, I don't have to pay it. But verse 27, however, so that we do not offend them. Go to the sea and throw in a hook, not a net, throw in a hook. Take the first fish that comes up and when you open its mouth, you will find a shekel. It's a very specific coin. Take that and give it to them for you and for me. Now, now there's lots of remarkable things here. First being that Jesus spoke before Peter told them what they'd asked, knowing what they'd asked. Like, I'm in control of all of this. I know what's happening in your life, Peter. When people are turning up the, the heat dial to push you. Uh, note, really, verse 27 is the, is the climax. However, so that we do not offend them. We don't have to do this, but... Not doing this might offend them. And I'm interested not in offending them, but reaching them. And so I'm going to go above and beyond what is required of me. I'm going to do good to them. And he gives them this obviously miraculous way of doing it for Peter's faith's sake. Uh, and you have, again, now you have a fish miracle, another fish miracle. Just the right coin. Of all possible coins, just the right coin, because the coin that he gets out of the sea, out of the fish, is a coin that can pay two guys tax. Of all the possible coins, this particular coin pays the tax for two people. So just the right coin to cover the right tax is dropped at some point into the lake somewhere. And some little fish comes by and decides to eat it. And it gets stuck in its mouth. And it lives even though it gets stuck in its mouth. And it swims to that very point in the lake where Peter doesn't throw out a net to catch them all, but throws out a hook to catch one. And even though there's an impediment in this little fishy's mouth, he still wants to bite. It's like, it doesn't matter. I want that. And he bites just at the right time that Peter went down to the lake and cast that line into the sea. And it's the sea. The Galilee had a fishing industry. I and mean, there's lots of fishermen because there's lots of fish. This is far too complex to be an accident, right? This is a miracle story. This is not some cool magic trick, right? This isn't some, you know, strange way of getting tax money to pay your taxes, this is customized teaching and building up of Peter's faith so that he understands that it is good to do good when you're not expected to do what they're asking of you. Just do good anyway. Pay it. Even when you're being unfairly challenged. But do so trusting in God's providential care because he is your creator God. That's why Peter said creator. Peter didn't say faithful father. He said faithful creator. That Jesus Christ is in control of every single little fishy's diet. And he cares for you, Peter. Jesus essentially models what Peter goes on to teach in 1 Peter. Our verse for the evening. So the history of God's people on earth is a story of misfits. There's just no doubt about it. If you don't believe that, you need to go outside of the U.S. It is difficult out there. In some cases, it's beyond mild suffering. It's extreme suffering. Where I come from, oh, man, we're totally marginalized now as a church. Everywhere in Europe has made abortion legal and has made gay marriage legal, except Northern Ireland. Did you know that? Except Northern Ireland. And I got a text from a buddy today. It's a group uh, saying, are you signing up for the demonstration 
a whole bunch of Christians are going out into the streets to protest the fact that the government is trying to ram down the throat of the people a pro-abortion law. Ah, in Europe, we're continually, Northern Ireland's continually being deemed antiquated, weird, killjoys, anti-humanity. And we're going to lose that battle, but we're going to go down fighting. You know, I, this is not my Texas t-shirt. I wear a Texas t-shirt, and one of the things I love about Texas is the Alamo story. Not because they get run over, but because they give them a good fight. You know, and there's a sense in which there's a lot of Scottish-Irish guys in there that, that I read the names, and I'm thinking, I know where he's from. So we're, we're giving them a good fight. Listen, my friends, it's uncomfortable here. You are a misfit. You will suffer, but do so by doing good to the society in which you're in so that you can transform the society in every sphere of life Christ's way. Not by withdrawal, not by retaliation, not by assimilation, not by war, just by doing good. Just do good. Let your light shine. And then there's a final key verse that I love. Wraps it all up beautifully. First, Peter 5, it can't be 5.16. I've noted 5.16 here and it can't be 5.16 because I think it ends at 14. Give me one second. 5.10 is it? Sorry, I thought it... 4.16. Ah, that's the, the 4 was wrong. Look, look what it says. However, if you suffer, and remember, suffer means what? Well, Peter tells you, if you suffer as a Christian... If you suffer because you are a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you get to bear that name. Beautiful. And so here's what I want you to do at some point. In fact, we're going to do it right now. I want everybody to say this. I am not ashamed. I want you to say it again. I am not ashamed. I am a Christian. I am a Christian. Amen. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for another evening in your word. We thank you because, again, we need it. You know we need it. This is not an encyclical letter for a bunch of churches back then. This is a letter that's still doing the rounds today, and we need it. And so help us to live out our identity in Christ and to do simple things like just do good in, in, in a Christ-like way. We know that we need your help in that and your spirit indwells us and can help us. Help us to walk in step with him. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.